Rick Madison and Scott Lanigan, chair of Central Okanagan Journey Home Society, delve into the problems surrounding Kelowna's homelessness issue and interview community stakeholders to discover possible solutions. Hi, welcome. It's uh, Rick Madison here along with Scott Lanigan, who's chair of the society uh, this is just home. it's already gone downhill and we're less than 30 seconds in the central okanagan journey home society okay well done and and welcome so much and we we would like to welcome a very special guest we have uh dustin seidler from toronto calling in on zoom hello dustin hello how are you very well, and today we are... Rick, the- I just got to be honest, the way you, you, you pronounced that and kind of introduced it was like you've never used Zoom before. It was like you're like, is this actually a thing? Is it working? I think it's it's all smoke and mirrors. It's black magic. It's crazy. Um, so Dustin comes to us in, in the way of he has a past experience as advanced care paramedic in Toronto. Uh, now, Dustin, just share with us a little bit of the the training around that and and we'll get into how that relates to our our podcast homelessness but just just kind of give us some background on the training involved with you being on the ambulance for that yeah for sure um so i first started my career in saskatchewan and it's about a year program program that you have to do uh it's about six months of school and then another three months of practicum and then you can work on the road after that. You can get hired on with a paramedic service. Once you're working as a paramedic, uh, they definitely it's definitely frowned upon to jump right into the advanced care paramedic. So I first started as a primary care paramedic. Um, so I waited, I think I waited about three, three and a half years. And then I decided I wanted to go back to school because they were doing much cooler things um, than the primary care paramedics. So... I went back to school as a to become an advanced care paramedic or ACP, uh, which you'll hear me refer it as. And um, yeah, so I took my ACP, and that was another two years of schooling and practicum, uh, and then I was uh, fully licensed as an ACP. So would that be considered just for the uh, the listeners? Would that be considered on the the upper echelon of training that you would need to work on the ambulance? Uh, you can work as a primary care or as an advanced care. Um, those are kind of the two delegations across Canada. Um, there was a, a third one called an intermediate care, but it's kind of uh, fallen out the wayside at this point. Um, but yeah, primary care or advanced care in the bigger cities, um, they try to they try to work with a double like ACP, so two ACPs on one ambulance, and then um, they'll have like you know multiple ambulances that are just PCP. So when the PCPs need help, they'll just call the ACPs or when there's a critical call, they'll call the ACPs and the ACPs will then come. So there's kind of two, two different levels. Um, uh, yeah. So you can, after nine months of, of working, it's a little bit different in Saskatchewan and out West, uh, the programs are reversed. So the primary cares are, are one year in Saskatchewan, but here they're actually two years. And the ACP is one year here, but the ACP in Saskatchewan is two years. Does that make sense? Not really, yeah. but I, I think... <laughs> I loved all the acronyms. I was trying to think of AOK, yeah. LOL. Yeah. I right. just thought we could toss a couple other ones in there. That would be fantastic. Hey, Dustin, oh, what's the primary different, differential between a primary care and advanced care? What And how would that relate to uh, you know your work uh, closer to the street community? 
Uh, yeah, so I think um, an advanced care paramedic has uh, just a higher technical uh, scalability. Uh, so um, advanced care paramedics can intubate, they can start uh, intravenous, um, and they're able to give like, um, you know, morphine, uh, fentanyl, um, not the type of fentanyl that we likely will be talking about. But I mean, it's the same thing, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's used for pain management um, on the road. Um, and also uh, sedation. Sedation is a really big one um, for us uh, psychiatric emer emergencies, uh, especially. Okay. So, Dustin, I'm going to frame a little bit for, again, you know, why we're speaking to you today about this, uh, this hot topic of homelessness. So you live in Toronto right now. Uh, you and I uh, met, I think, a few weeks, well, over a month ago, and, and I found out that you had done a lot of work uh, with, with Toronto's homeless and as, as a result of you being a paramedic. And some of the stories you told me were, were literally gripping, uh, riveting stuff, and I wanted you to share some of that today. But also, again, just speak to the fact that you're no longer doing uh, the work as a paramedic because you, my friend, are, are burnt out. Is that, is that a fair statement? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, last February, I decided to take a leave um, in line with <clears throat> my doctor, um, and I was diagnosed with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, PTSD. And um, yeah, I think that, you know, there was a, a specific call that uh, was really weighing heavy on me. Um, and then it was starting to accumulate with other calls relating to that one specific call. And I just, I needed to step away. I was at a boiling point. Um, you know, my sleep was being affected. My night, I was having like terrible nightmares. My ability on the job was being affected and it was a lot. Uh, it was a lot to have to like make the decision to step away because I really loved that job. It was a passion of mine. Ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to drive something with lights and sirens. And to have to step away after 12 years was, was really tough, but easily one of the best decisions of my life. And Dustin, uh, it, it truly... Uh, you know, paramedic or ambulatory response is truly the front lines, is it not, of just, uh, you know, uh, it, it's first responder, it's front lines. So you're entering into some pretty critical situations that are literally life and death uh, and um, very traumatic, not only for the individuals that are uh, you, you're responding to, but also for those that are attending to. Is that not correct? Yeah, it's it's a very uh, it's a very raw experience, and it's an experience that uh, like we that you, you know there's no other uh, word that describes us other than frontline. You know, we're seeing just how bad these people's living situations are. We're seeing how bad the trauma was from you know somebody that has you know uh, I don't know like I, I don't want to get too graphic for your podcast, but we're seeing the tr direct trauma and the relation, you know, you could talk about it and explain it in stories and explain it in the emergency room, but your eyes are on the ground. Your eyes are what's in front of you are seeing raw experience. And I like, it's just unexplainable, you know, like people don't really understand. Um, it's really just stories because there's, you're not, there's not photos of this stuff, like photos of the stuff that we're seeing don't circulate around. 
you know, so it, it yeah, it's uh, it's intense for sure. The the one aspect, and I want to go back to, if you can share, and if, if it's not too too hard on you, but to share that one call that kind of pivoted you, I want to go back to that in a second. But something you said uh, during the visit to Kelowna that struck me was you said the irony of that moment when you looked, you're, you're sitting in the ambulance, you just went through a horrendous call, and, and you, you were again like shaking with adrenaline, and it was just this, this moment where you're like, I, I, the world was, was just on your shoulders. And then you look over, and you see a, a, a homeless guy laying down on his back on a heat grate, smoking a cigarette, and just blissfully unaware. <laughs> and, and you just looked at that and went, what is going on? Like, it, it just struck you as, I'm, I'm here like a coiled spring, and this guy is just enjoying <laughs> the moment. And, and you were struck by that. So tell me, a, just give me some, some perspective on that for the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I don't even remember the stories that I tell. I'm like, what story is he going to tell me here? <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I recall that day it was like both of us, my partner and I were just like frazzled in the ambulance. And it was just like, yeah, like the responsibility and, you know, just like that adrenaline and coming out and like, it was, it was, you know, we just finished doing CPR and I just finished intubating this person and putting an IV in it. Like it, it's a lot, like it is like, you're just, after that call, you just need all, the only thing you need is that you and your partner to just decompress. And as we're decompressing, we both look over and like this, just smiling, smoking a cigarette, head back, the grade is like on a 45 degree angle. And it's like, here we are busting our ass, trying to save somebody's life. And this guy's just like totally got no worry in the world. Like he's so chill. And it's like, what, like, what is happening here? You know? And it like the, like, it's like, yeah, it was, it was shocking. Right. Like it was like, wow. Like it was put, put things into perspective. Right. Like, I mean, he's just, he, he's doesn't have a worry in the world. Like, and so content. And you talk like he, he's there often and you talk to him and he's the friendliest, like he's just, he loves his life. You don't even meet paramedics like that. <laughs> <laughs> the dichotomy is is profound, hey? Wild. Like wild. Absolutely wild. Yeah. That's a great story to bring up. Uh, Dustin, so, you know, as, you know, to kind of paint the picture a bit for our listeners, you know, of, of your kind of day in and day out experience, generally speaking, as a first responder, uh, you know, what percentage of your... Uh, responses are to those that are in, uh, you know, vulnerable circumstances in duress is, is related to street community or homelessness or, um, uh, or the like. What percentage is, is it, is that your question? Yeah. Sorry? Like, and yeah. How, like, yeah. you know, in, in a, in a day to day, is it, was it a high percentage uh, that you're dealing with or is it, is it a yes. mix? Yeah. We say that, like, I, I don't know. We say that, like, five to 10% is like, Oh my goodness. Like, hold on. Like paddishly, like, like a duck uh, paddling feverishly underwater, but like cool, calm and collected, like maybe five to 10%. Yeah. 
and maybe even less in Toronto. But like 90%, 90, maybe two, three, four, five percent is just like complete BS. And I would say, I don't know, this is just like, this is my feeling and this is my personal and these none of none of what I'm saying represents uh, anything um, of the service that I, I work with. But um, yeah, I would say that like it's it's large, like it's a large percentage, like 70 percent of that. So just so I, I understand this correctly, so you're saying on a call, 70 percent is dealing with the, the homeless situation uh, in Toronto. Is that correct? Like, yeah, like I, I would, yeah, I would definitely say, um, like the low income to homelessness society is like a major, like a very large majority of our calls, and you know the reason for that is is some like I remember, I remember an instance where this this guy would literally leave the hospital, walk a block pick up the payphone and dial 911 from the payphone. And nine times out of 10, the paramedics that are just clearing from the hospital that drop this guy off at the hospital are now having to pick him up again. And they're like, we literally just picked you up. Like you just left the hospital. Like what, why did you leave the hospital if you're not feeling well? You know, I have chest Okay, well, we can't deny anybody's service. We can't say, no, you're not coming. So there we go. We pick him up. We bring him into the hospital. What happens, right? Like, they see him. They assess him. The, the doctor comes. Like, nothing has changed. We've already released you. Please leave. He leaves, walks another block, picks up the phone, calls 911. It might just so happen that now he gets to go to another hospital. And then they have to redo the entire assessment there because they don't have the history that the hospital that he just was at, you know, they the paramedics say that, but they don't have that paperwork. So they have to do it. So there are times where that man called like nine, 10, 11 times a day, like, you know, and that adds to our call volume. Like that is crazy to our call volume. Not only does it, it, uh, you know, add to the call volume, but the exhaustion, like, you know, having to pick that guy, like you can imagine having to pick that guy up after he just left the hospital, the frustration that amounts from, from, you know, the paramedics having to go because our hands are tied. Like We have no choice. We have to go and pick him up. And so I think that like a lot, a lot of what we see is a lot of, uh, especially from the homeless community is they will push because they know that we can't say no they will push on us to make what they want happen because they know we can't say no. We are the last line that cannot say no to them. So that, that would be the BS you were referring to. hundred <laughs> um, percent. So, so let's go, go back here a bit because I, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to get a real picture on, on why, why you left uh, the profession because it would feel like you're literally, taking two steps forward and four steps back on every shift. And I, I get that. I like, I, I can understand your frustration. The other part is, can you, can you relay any details of that, of that last call that, that seemed to weigh heavy on you? Was it, does it have any to do with the, the street 
street people and and the homelessness or it doesn't but it tie it could it could easily be tied to it um yeah i think um it, it was a call of an elderly woman and and she reminded me of my aunt and we got there and she was extremely extremely short of breath and i just took one look at her and i was like we need to get her the fire department was inside because they act as first response and they had uh they they were talking to her and i'm like we need to get her on the bed immediately like immediately it was during covid so i like laid eyes before inside the apartment before i was actually like fully dressed so i couldn't even go in and start assessing like i'm at the door laid eyes on her we need to get her onto the stretcher immediately we get her onto the stretcher and like uh it literally just breaks my heart like i took one look at her and i like in the back of my head i'm like there's no way she's leaving this building alive there's not a chance and so i like i looked at her in the eye and i just said hello my name is dustin i'm a paramedic and i'm here to i'm here to help you and she said dustin hi and like super short of breath dustin hi like one one word at a time uh and she says please don't let me die like please don't you know and it is like whoa like there's literally nothing that i could do for you right now because i know you're all like literally about to die there's nothing that i can do for you i i mean i could try my best but i just know that you're going to be going into cardiac arrest and we literally worked on this like because it was hard like she was having you know she was talking to me like and i had eye contact with her and then like we left that apartment and she, she was we, she died in the hallway like minutes after we had that conversation and we worked on her and i were like i swear i've never worked on somebody like that long and that hard with like my like everything was in that lady and it was it was just like this is the type of person that i want to help and i can't help you but then you know like there's all of this other resources that we give to the homelessness like i'm like we have all of these resources for you and we can do this for you there's over 100 organizations organizations in a group called focus here in toronto that work on getting people off the streets and out of this area and all of these resources they're poured into the community but they don't want the help and it's like the people that i can help don't want my help and the people that i like that want to absolutely live there's nothing that i can do for you that's going to save you and you die and it's just like it's too like stretching opposing like you know pulling me in both directions and it's like i am such an empathetic person i like i have such empathy and i i pick up and i'm so sensitive i pick up on you know emotions and um like i have a huge thing about connection and for me it was just like this is the hardest thing and it was like i cried after that call like when that lady died i cried like i i i, I and i went another month before i left the road and 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 like literally or no that's not true I went a few more months actually but literally the month before i left i had the exact same thing with this guy he was burnt in a kitchen fire head to toe and the only thing he could do 
was like, he was, could look at me and he fear in his eyes. And it was just like, he's like, help me. And I know that this severity of burn equals death. Like, I know you're going to die in the back of my head. Like it just, I, there, we did absolutely everything. I tried my absolute best. We had the burn unit meet up with us and this guy died. It's like, you know, I, yeah. So then it was just like, now I'm seeing the lady, this lady's eyes in this man that was just burnt. And he's looking at me the exact same way she's looking at me. And I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to take a step away because this is like, this is eating me. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. It seems, it seems, uh, so it's very interesting because we often don't think of this, but there's, there's always a, a cost. There's always, um, you know, when you, when you're responding to the amount of calls, uh, with the homeless, uh, people and, and, and again, I, I hear you, a lot of them do not want the help. They do not want the assistance and, and you're trying to help them because it's, you're literally the last line of defense. And then on the other side, you feel torn because there's these people that desperately want to stay alive. They have, they have lives they want to continue living in and you feel hopeless in that, in that sense. So I can, I can see all the, I can see the two forces at work there, Dustin. And it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I believe with all my heart that, uh, you know, that, that is, and I, I said this to you, I, unfortunately that position that you were in I don't know how a lot of people do it for a lot of years because it seems like you're just wearing every single shift and it it would just eventually accumulate yeah I uh, you know it's interesting there's a numbing factor that you're just when you're so young and you're so new that you just want to see all this stuff right and as you see it 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 numbs you and you become numb and then you have no sense of emotion. The emotion is just gone and you're used to it. You laugh it off. You make jokes about what's just happened. And it's not right, but like, that's it. That's how you cope. And you begin to cope by laughing. And then you, you be literally become heartless. And with that, like, is you're ext- at this point, you're extremely burnt out, like, and you know yeah and so like i think just a lot of people are on autopilot and laughing it off and coping with other not great resources um until something happens where you just hit a tipping point or you reach retirement (laughs) (laughs) i hear and and uh i just want to interject for a second too dustin and say we're just so much appreciate you sharing that story because it was poignant and obviously a, a turning point for you and and uh you know we're not remiss to to consider that often it it can be a bit of a uh, a trigger again for for not only you but for others and so i just want to say if we have any listeners that that have that as well uh there is a local resource here in Kelowna Canadian Mental Health Association and they have helplines if you just go to their website uh there's also helplines there if you just need to talk to someone it's virtual counseling and and i just think those are important things to say too cuz often when we share stories it maybe not for the individual sharing as as you said you've been through a lot of different processing and working through it but for sometimes for others it's pretty significant but what i hear in your story Dustin is uh, you know, it, it, it feels difficult because the, the complexity of issues, whether it's, you know, dealing with an individual who you really want to help but lack the practical resources to really provide exactly what they need versus those that seem to have an abundance of resources. You know, how do you rectify that? And, and, and you know, I think 
as as a listener, we're, we're hearing this and we can look at something at face value and go, oh, well, look, come on, this should happen or that should happen. And yet it doesn't seem as simple as that. It seems like there's also extenuating circumstances that that often create a bit more of a layered uh, complexity that that we just don't see at first blush. Yeah, yeah, I think I think for sure, like I I actually not trying to like interject, but I I have created since leaving. I've created a like a um, a clothing brand for first responders, frontliners, nurses, doctors, paramedics, firefighters, police officers, and it's called Invisible Ones. And the reason I decided to call it Invisible Ones is because like, unless you're in it, you don't know what's going on. Like you have no idea. And that kind of touches on like the raw experience, right? Um, that I was talking about earlier is it, it just really, um, it, it is and it's unexplainable. And, and, and even when I tell stories, people are like, there's no way there's no way that that happens, you know? And it's just like, yeah, like they're, they're 100% is just like, I'll give you an example. There's a gentleman, multiple gentlemen, ladies as well that sleep on grates and they, you know, get the heat from uh, underground for above these grates and you're able to um they're able to stay warm from this and like you go we get especially in extreme cold warnings we get called constantly like uh we're we're sent on a, a designation uh for a cold exposure so we get there and we pull up in the ambulance and we get to the grate and we go and speak to the you know whoever is laying on the grate and we say hey we've had a 911 call is everything okay yeah and then we get told to f off and it's like you know nine like I, every paramedic has a story like that and multiple but the public you know sees us go to this like they're if they're watching especially if they're in a, a, a building beside and like what are we going to do like they're, we're literally being told to f off they want nothing to do with us and they're also they're embarrassed they're annoyed they're frustrated that you know this is the fourth ambulance like i've already told you four times that i don't need help i don't need help and now it's just like this anger coming at us and it's like nobody in the public ever gets to hear that right nobody gets this but what they see is an ambulance pull up and two minutes later drive halfway down the block to complete the paperwork so you're out of this guy's hair and and you're in a safe place because if you don't move they're potentially going to start coming at you to like get lost because they're so annoyed of you know the big the big engine running beside them and it, it's annoying like it's annoying for them and so like yeah I, I mean I think that touches on a little bit on what you're asking but there, there's just so many instances like that where, um, you know, a lot of people don't understand. And, and unless you're firsthand doing it, you don't really know. It's funny. Uh, so we've been doing this podcast for a while and, and trying to peel back the layers on, on homelessness, uh, potential solutions, ideas surrounding it. 
maybe some education and uh you know i i just it, it's interesting i i feel i feel like there's a large percentage of the, the homeless population that just based on that story simply choose that life they simply could not imagine any other life but but being homeless and i think you saw with your own two eyes almost every shift that you went out um, to care for these people is that they're like, no, leave me alone. I'm happy where I am. And I think we as society have chosen or have decided, no, 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 that, that can't be right. You, you don't have a house. You don't have a car. You don't have a job. You don't have, you know, nobody, seemingly no support system. How on earth could you possibly be happy? But you know, you've struck on something which is there's a large majority, and I don't even want to talk about numbers of how many, but it seems <laughs> like it's overwhelming the amount of people that are like, no, I do not want to be part of your your structure, your world. I'm in my yeah. own world, and I'm yeah. and if I die young as a result of it, at least I lived a free life. Right. You know. Totally. The no, the lack of rules, uh, ha not having to conform, the freedom. Uh, all of that, right? Like, and, and you talk about it, like, what is the actual percentage of Canadian homelessness? The actual percentage where somebody that truly wants a house or accommodations and they want from the bottom of their heart, they do not want to be on the street. What is that percentage? And, and from that percentage, for the people that don't, like, I, I've heard them heard it referred to as transient, right? Right? Because there are solutions. There are solutions for somebody if they want to step out. And from my understanding and from my kind of point of view, I mean, if suddenly 100% of, of the transient or homelessness community in Canada said, all at once said they wanted help, we may be, you know, we may face a situation. But for the people that truly want to get out of those situations, I really think there is opportunity. Um, but I, I don't think they want it. And they are, they are content there. There's resources. And, you know, as I'm thinking about this podcast today, like, what, what am I going to talk about? There's like, on my way home from my walk with my dog, there's like, an entire stand of like, food, beverages, drinks, like, socks, like, everything on this, like two carts at a major intersection in Toronto, a block away from my house. And I'm just like, Wow, I've never, I've never, like, this is, it happens. Like, there's these little pop-ups everywhere. And, you know, like, the, the amount of shelters that are, are even around my house, like, they're, they're definitely there. But, like I said, yeah, it's, it, it's shocking to me. Like, man, we can help you. <laughs> I want to help you. Dustin, maybe, maybe we're the ones in the prison. Have you ever thought of that? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> truly, right? Like... <laughs> Wow. Because just wow. <laughs> well, I, I pay a lot of taxes. I uh, you do pay a, well. Uh, that that's a whole I don't want to get you in trouble with CRA. <laughs> uh, I I do, you know, Dustin here in Kelowna are um, is part of our our homelessness initiative here. It's called Journey Home is that to get to functional zero, which means if you want uh, housing and you want supports, wraparound supports, they would be available. That's really the ultimate goal here because there's always going to be, to your point, a percentage 
of those that are on the street that choose to, to choose to be on the street or face a, a complexity of needs that that make it very difficult to house them. And so that but unfortunately, I think where where many individuals perspectives are when we say the word homeless, that's the individual individuals we think of right away. And and, you know, what we've been learning throughout the podcast is that those at risk of homelessness are actually quite greater than those that uh, we see, you know, in the in the alleyways or on the streets in any given city and that's where it becomes so complex because those people are a a check away or a situation away or you know inflation rate away or a mortgage payment away from from being uh at at a very difficult season in their life and and to your point like those those people we want to help just as much as those that uh are on the street yet those on the street are the ones where our priority you know like you said here you are spending you know a high percentage of your calls uh, directed at a, a small segment of individuals and some that seemingly are taking advantage of the very service that you're trying to offer for all. Yeah, totally. I, I, I mean, I, I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you, right? Like the, those people that are on the brink of homelessness, like, and are, you know, really truly struggling. Like do, do we as paramedics uh, counter like come in contact with that probably uh you know I, I mean definitely but do we know that to that extent do you know what i mean and and i i mean definitely like there are resources um you know that are set up that if that does come across you can send them into a direction that you know they can have help be stepped in and and i think that you know as long as uh the paramedic is like doing their job properly um with with their questioning they could find that out and definitely be a a resource to not have that person end up uh on the streets or you know out of you know like maybe helping them out of their worst season and instead of the season turning even uglier they're able to like be a pivot at that point so i i know that 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 is definitely uh you know it's it's possible but i i think you're right the focus really does lie on what we see on the streets and what the general public sees as firsthand is, is what we really focus on the homelessness as. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, okay. So I, I just, before we wrap up and, and again, I mean, I, I could literally listen to these, these stories a long time, but what I want to find out from you, Dustin is, and we asked this of all of our guests is in your eyes, um, are we are we a are we moving the needle in the right way and and b do you have any other possible solutions that that you've seen or or perhaps are 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 seemingly making making some headway with uh, the homeless population is there any anything that you know perhaps you can add to the to the list of solutions ah well i it's hard, right? Because like at the end of the day, what like what has driven these people to to the streets? Is it's like why are people where they are? And you can at all walks of life, you can relate this. We everybody just wants to feel love and they want to be loved and to be respected. And I think that like I 
truly think that starting from the bottom up as opposed to a top down where you know the paramedics are coming why can't we educate the general population on what it is like to interact with you know this situation because like if i walk up to a, somebody that's on a grade and say hey are you okay and they freak out at me the only thing i'm going to do is walk away like i i'll give them the space that they need and especially in a large center of toronto but the problem is 99.9% of the people just walk by and do nothing and i think that if there was some sort of public education on homelessness and you know a, a, a way to not like so many people are afraid when they you know kids are taught to be stay away be careful of that person right and if we were just to a collectively as a whole all have an education and understanding that these people aren't there to hurt you these people are actually struggling and what they're going through is something that we wouldn't want anybody to have to go through and so i think like just a little bit of like care kindness and care would go a long way and in it and like creating an inclusion for these people because as soon as you have somebody in uniform you're toast so i think really like having volunteer like i mean it, i like to all of the volunteers out there that are working um with this population like kudos to you and i like greatly appreciate each and every one of you um i really feel that we need to do and be a stronger force for these people does that make sense i i'm 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 yeah paying homage to what you just said i i mean uh you just said a lot which is uh and i do think it's a message that everyone should have and and yeah i'm just kind of blown away by the words so thank you dustin for for sharing the time and i mean uh, i know this was difficult because obviously you have a lot of a lot of friends in in the industry and and uh that are going to listen to the podcast but honestly it again anytime we can shine a light and and when i when i met you and you had these stories i thought man you you really do have to help us educate because uh you know we're, we're still trying to figure this this big complex issue out and and we're not there obviously but you know anytime we can to have interviews like this we're going to do it so i so appreciate it and yeah like stepping into that space of sorry to interrupt you there dustin but stepping into that space of of people learning and just taking a moment and educating themselves and finding opportunities to engage with those that are unlike them uh, or they don't look like the same people in the mirrorless circle. Like that's a huge uh, encouragement and step that I think every listener can actually take on without much difficulty. Like they can step into that and that's, it doesn't cost uh, resources, just time, you know, and, and taking that. So that's a, that's a, that, that's really a compelling thought. I think I think one of the major things is like we get called to these situations and you know you get called to the street corner and you get called to the that same great and it's just like drive by caller. Okay, well like if you're really right it always comes in drive by caller, patient's not breathing. Okay, so that's like that's now police, fire and EMS. Two ambulances, a fire truck and then however many police cars are available. Right? And instead of wasting that resource, that concerned person with the big heart that just drove by and called 911, 
it's great that you called 911 and great that you called, but if you're really truly concerned, why don't you just go and see if they're okay? You know, like just give a little tap on the foot. Hey, are you okay? Okay, cool. There was a moment, and and I'm and I'm not trying to shine a light on myself, but okay, maybe a little bit. Uh, there was a, a person hole cover. I want to call it a person hole cover because we're in a new age, um, and it was it was off. It was off. You know, we the it had turned on the highway, and it was laying next to the hole that it should be in. And uh, so we're looking at this, and I said, hey, you know, I I think somebody's going to drive into that and break an axle or get an accident. So. Uh, so Jennifer, as you know very well, calls in and says, "Hey, um, there's a there's a cover there," and 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 the and the police on the other end says, "Yeah, we've had like 26 calls on that, and uh, we're going to be down in a minute or whatever." And I thought, "How heavy can it be?" <laughs> so I go over there and I kick it over, and it goes back in, like it, which on a very small level, micro level. You're talking about if before you call 911 and, and usher all these resources into a situation, please, please, please take a second and just just discover, like find out, is there any problem and, and can, and, and before we call every, all the cavalry, do we, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, no, for sure. Because, because what it what it does is it, it wears, it wears, right? Like it wears, it wears, it wears, it wears. And then what happens when it's actually a problem where that person is, or it's a, you know, exec from somewhere that has just dropped it on the street. And now you just like drove by, do you know what I mean? And the paramedics are coming. And I'm gonna tell you, not every paramedic is gonna go to that street corner at the same velocity, that's it. They Like if you're disgruntled, you're going to that, there, there's different speeds that you go. And when you know that this is like life and death and you know you can make a difference, you're going. But when it's like called in as the, you know, the same thing over and over again, what happens if that hundredth time it really is somebody that needs help, right? And it, it's just a wear on the system, and it it, it really um, it really could take away from somebody's life. So it makes a huge difference. That's a great message that I want to share. Uh, that's great, Dustin. <laughs> we appreciate that. In Kelowna, we actually have something called a PACT Team P A C T, and it, it partners a, a RCMP officer with a registered psychiatric nurse. And so individuals can contact that in Kelowna. I'm actually going to give the number. It's through the Interior Health Crisis Line. It's 1-888-353-2273. And then you can call that directly instead of 911. And then you'll have that set uh, that respond to uh, specific mental health crisis, but those that seem to be in duress. And so, uh, you know, I think great steps are trying to be made, I'm sure, in Toronto as well as in Kelowna. And uh, uh, again, I want to uh, join Rick and just thank you so much for uh, spending your time sharing your stories. I'm sure we could do some follow-up uh, interviews quite easily. And uh, you know, as uh, you know, and uh, you know, as the the question's been burning in the back of our minds the entire time we've been speaking to you, Dustin, uh, do you actually cheer for the Toronto Maple Leafs, or, or do you choose a better Western Canadian team? Well, <laughs> specifically Northern Alberta. <laughs> yeah um so i was a flames fan <laughs> i love the, i love the past tense on that phrase you just uttered yeah so you already know where it's coming from listen like i got to meet jerome mcginlove like i went to an nhl game my very first nhl nhl game and jerome mcginlove was captain i got to meet him and we drove like for the day just for the game and then drove home that same night my dad hero 
we, you know, and so I like automatically, that's the only team close, close to like my eight hour small city in Saskatchewan away from Calgary. So they become my team. But then when I moved to Toronto, it's okay, just like, but we can just end the story there. No, if I, you want. I want to hear the rest <laughs> of the story. Dustin, keep going. You're such a great storyteller. <laughs> well, I, I actually was working with the Leafs. So I spent two seasons in the uh, Scotiabank arena, um, ACC at that time. And I was working with the Leafs, Raptors and Jays as, as a paramedic before I got hired on with the service. Uh, so I like it just naturally, I just became a fan and, um, yeah, I think for that experience alone, like I just was in it and saw the heart and the the joy and the pride that, you know, the, the Maple Leafs fans have and, and and actually the Leafs too. Like there's there's definitely a sense of maybe that's everywhere, but I just really fell in love with it here and uh, it's close. So that's my team. Well, it sounds like go me Leafs. that was lacking in the Calgary Flames organizationally and players. So you saw it. And it's an obvious solution to move. <laughs> oh, yeah. Rick's a huge flame fan. <laughs> what? <laughs> he is? Oh, yeah. No, and it's interesting because, right. you know what, I'm as, as somebody that uh, has extensive background in, in uh, emotions and emotional intelligence, what I just heard is that you saw the amount of losing that the Leafs did. <laughs> So you just decided, listen, I gotta, I gotta get out of. Are this you position. calling me a loser? <laughs> listen, yeah. listen. There's just, no labels here. If you're good to be in the same listen. arena, um, okay. So <laughs> listen, I, I have, I actually have one, one more story that I really wanted to share, and it never really had a, uh, a point to come up. Can I share it, or do you want to say that? <laughs> No, you, you might as well, because because the uh, the listeners are just uh, they're on the edge. Of, we're not selling them the whole seat because they only need the edge. So let's just go. <laughs> I, I I think it touches it definitely touches it with everything together and, and and it's just like for paramedics especially and and first responders that may be listening to this is uh, I mean we definitely feel the burnout and and the exhaustion and it can just become so routine to you know have to deal with the same person again but there was this one time I was sitting in the ambulance outside the hospital just clear to call and so often somebody comes up and knocks on our window to ask for whatever, who, who knows what they're going to be asking for. But like all the time, all different walks of life come up and just knock on the window. Hi, do you have this? Hi, what's your name? Hi, where are you from? Like, and so I'm just like, it, it, it gets annoying. And so all of a sudden I hear this like knock, knock, knock on my window. And I'm like, holy, like that, it's intense. And I rolled on the window, like just a tad. And I'm just like, hello. How can I help you? And she's like, oh my God. She's like, is your name Dustin? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, do you remember me? And I'm like, no. And I'm like, she's like, you helped me. You saved my life. And I, she went on to tell me that, you know, it was one of these people that I like poured my heart out into the back of the ambulance. And I had been made fun of it for in the past. Um, but I like poured my heart out to her. I'm like, you know, there's all of these services available. Like your life it, there's so much more to come and I like I hate to see you in this position it's it breaks my heart and like I'm a very emotional person like and I care like I truly care about people and yeah she like you know tells me she's like after we had that talk she's like I've been helped and I've been sober ever since that day so I just wanted to thank you so much and I was like blown away right because 99 times out of 100, you may not make a difference. But if you don't try that 100th time, you're not going to make a difference. So you might as well put 100% in. 
Well, listen, uh, 100% appreciate you, mister, for sharing the time. Yeah, and we'll, uh, great, great and, way to end. And we're going to have another discussion here shortly. So, uh, again, I, I thank you, Dustin, from calling all of the way from Toronto. And, uh, and Scott, Absolute I have pleasure. no words for you, actually. Because uh, he's so deeply no impacted by me all the go, time. Go Leafs, go. go. <laughs> Thanks, Dustin. <laughs> all right, see you later. Thanks, guys. Take right. care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening in on the Homeless in Kelowna podcast. If you have feedback, reach out to us via email, rick at tempestmedia.net.